And a good Friday to you, ladies, gentlemen, fanatics of all ages. Welcome to another episode of Phillies Therapy Post-Winter Meetings 2022 edition. My name is Paul Boyer, joined as always by the illustrious Matt Gelb of The Athletic, who got to cover an interesting few days out west in San Diego. Boy, a lot of stuff happened in a, a short span of days here, as you may or may not have heard. And as we may or may not have dedicated 20 exclusive minutes to covering, the Phillies did sign Trey Turner to an 11-year, $300 million contract. They also, shortly after that, signed starting pitcher Taiwan Walker to a four-year deal for just over $70 million and left-handed reliever Matt Strom for two years and $15 million. They followed all of that up by doing what might have been even more interesting than any of that, if you're a real sicko, by in the Rule, in the rule 5 draft. Picking, uh, taking picture Noah Song from the Boston Red Sox organization. We'll we'll get into that a little bit more in a second. Matt, welcome back from being out west. Um, seems like you were a little bit busy this week, huh? Yeah, and excuse me because my voice—I've uh, lost my voice, which is like a typical winter meetings casualty. It was the first winter meetings in person. Uh, well, the first winter meetings held period since 2019, mm. and. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting few days, and and uh, I applaud the Phillies for pretty much completing all business before the holidays. Um, much appreciated, uh, and and they are effectively done. Um, you know, I I don't expect them to to give out any more multi year contracts this off season. I do think that they will go sign maybe one or two more middle reliever types, um, maybe someone else if the market uh, is depressed for a setup type guy, but. Um, pretty much what you see is what you get. They'll, they'll look for some minor league contracts, bring in some depth for spring training. But, um, you know, as I highlighted my, my story today at the athletic Paul after the press conference, uh, here in Philly for, for Turner yesterday, um, they, they have eight of their nine positions in the lineup are, are under, are locked in, uh, through 2025. Yep. You know, the only one on the field is Reese Hoskins, who, who obviously has one year left of club control. He'll be a free agent after 2023. Um, they they have a pretty set group here. And, and of course, things are going to change, obviously, like you know, the, what you set in stone and what you lock in and what you project. It never, ever goes that way. But um, they have a, 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 a rather large deal of certainty here. And I, I think that's... Um, there's something to be said for that. It's a mix of high priced guys and some uh, younger everyday guys, uh, guys in their prime. You know, the majority of the paid players are in their prime here. I mean, I don't know if you could argue that um, maybe Schwarber is closest to like post prime, but I, I, I wouldn't, yeah, I, I don't guess. even know if I would say that. Right. I mean, yeah. he's probably got one or two years of prime production left. I would think, um, it's a team that is built to win now, and 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 it's a it's an organization that uh, treated has treated this offseason, has treated this past week as if it is got a mandate to win now. And I think uh, you look across the sport, and this was a very instructive week, Paul. I mean, this is yeah, uh, it's really interesting to see the state of things, how teams are spending, and and I wrote this in my story, and and, and like this isn't like to be a Phillies apologist or anything, because like I think 
the later years of this contract, the Turner contract will probably go bad. Uh, but I think it already has, it already looks better. Like it's only been signed for two days or not even signed for days. It's been agreed for, for two or three days. And then we see the Bogarts deal 11 mm-hmm. years and 280 million Bogarts is almost a year older than Turner. He is most definitely going to move off of shortstop before Turner will. Like I would be stunned if that does not happen. Uh, and Carlos Correa is going to get more than 300 million. Yes. Uh, I, I'm, I'm convinced of that. I think so. Uh, for a too. couple different reasons. And all of a sudden, like the Turner deal already, before he even steps on the field, I, I think it looks even better than when he signed it, does it not? I, the funny thing is that usually when somebody or, or some team goes out and jumps the market like this. They set you, the market. Yes. Right. They set the market. And usually when you do that, you end up paying the high tab, right? Like you're you're the person paying the, the highest price to get out in front of everybody, to not play chicken, to just say, no, this is our guy. We're going to go out and get him. And you're okay paying a premium of sorts in order to accomplish that. And that's not really happened here. One of the, at least, you know, as we sit here today, one of the most interesting things and a thing I completely, I would say, underestimated about the way this would go, these meetings would go, is that the teams that want to win and clearly want to win um, are are just they have more money to dole out right now for free agents than I think a lot of us anticipated. The cooler markets of the past couple of years are a distant memory at this point. Like these are these are massive deals with a couple more still to go. Uh, even the ones that were shorter term, you know, <laughs> Justin Verlander gets forty three million dollars a year. David Robertson got ten million. David Robertson <laughs> got ten million dollars. You know, Jamison Tyone ended up getting four guaranteed years. Taiwan Walker from the Phillies got four guaranteed years. And I don't think going into these meetings, it's not just a money thing. I don't really think we expected things to to unfold quite this way with the, the heft of the guarantees. It's showing some kind of shift in strategy, I think, that the teams that are in contention have more money to play with than some of these other teams, which I guess is the way I'll phrase that, that they're willing to be creative and absorb what is likely going to be, like you said, some down years, plural, at the end of some of these contracts in order to secure the primes and keep those average annual values low. Like it, it turns into a bit of an accounting game, yes. but I think it's a clear shift in strategy from what we had seen with team building. Teams are more comfortable now to an extent giving out these really long deals for these star players because it helps with this tax threshold. But also, it, I think I think it reflects more of like a comfort with knowing what the back end is going to look like and feeling like it's worth it. Yeah, and let's let's be real. I mean, like it's twenty twenty two right now. It's about to be twenty twenty three, and for a little while longer. <laughs> the, the The luxury tax thresholds in the next collective bargain agreement, and I forget when this one expires. I kind of totally erased those the lockout and the negotiations from my head, but mm-hmm. uh, it's not going down. It's not going to go down. Average salaries are not going to go down uh, unless we have this huge. I know, know there's concerns about the RSN bubble, you know, the TV money. I, I think that's a real concern in the sport, but this, the sport is just they'll find some other revenue source for their yeah. t- for their broadcast. I mean, there is a ton of money that it's not going down. And, and, and we use Bryce Harper's contract as, you know, I think as the context It's like you look at Harper's AAV right now and it's not 
it's not bad. <laughs> like, he's got like, he's got nine deals. <laughs> nine years, two hundred and twenty-two million left. I think is, somebody is what there was a great about. tweet. Right, there was a great tweet that when Judge signed and and and, and you know Judge um, he should get what he got. Like he's worth yeah. it. Oh yeah, but. Harper is like either he's like six months older or six months younger. They're very close in age. And somebody compared the remaining contract of Harper to what judge just signed for. And you're like, what would you rather have? And it's like, holy shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Look, it, it, Aaron judge, if he's healthy is an extraordinary player. And I think we, we saw that happen last year. I, it was it was possible at one point, I think, when the injuries started to just to go on a brief tangent here, when the injuries started to pile up for Judge that, you know, his his rookie year was going to be his peak and he wasn't really going to top that. He was still really good after that. But then he just exploded last year. And now it makes you wonder, like, oh, OK, does he have another one of those in him? He is only going to be in his age 31 sure. season. And now yeah. you can you can turn that turn that light over onto Harper. Right. Some injury concerns, some injury history one that's going to go into this next season, which again is, is sort of like is a really cruel tease that we're not going to see this lineup at full strength until the middle of the summer. But you look at what Harper has done when healthy and they are about the same age. Like you said, you start to wonder like, Oh, okay. Does he have another one of those, you know, 2021 MVP seasons in him when he comes back, there's still a lot of time left to figure that out. And in the, in, in the landscape now that has been shifted by this judge deal, again, only four years after Harper signed his deal, it really does start to look like, I and I, I'm trying to get myself away from using terms like this lately, but it does kind of look like a bargain. And it's wild yeah. to think that a 13-year deal after less than a third of it would would be thought of that way. And it's very interesting because there's, there's a clear dichotomy happening in the sport. There is a one side that looked at the Phillies deals at the winter meetings, and I heard from a couple of people from other teams who were like 11 years, like what, what, what the hell, like what, what are they doing? Like, how could you ever do that? And then from the bigger market side, like from the Philly side and other bigger market teams, like, Oh yeah, smart. Like that's, that's how you do business now. Like you just mm. spread it out. Then the term did not matter to the Phillies. They wanted a longer term. If you recall, like really? during the Harper negotiations, yes, during the Harper negotiations, I, I, I don't know if I, 100% reported this. Maybe I said it was, they started at 15. I think they started at like 20 years. Like they're like, whatever your Wait total number minute. is, we'll give you your total number. The total number doesn't change, but we want, you know, we, we want to mess up, mess with the term as much as we can so we can t- keep the AAV down. Like that not as like a deferral strategy. No, no, no. I think, I think, I don't know if it was the, the number that I remember them actually like going to them with was like 15. They're like, we, you know, you want 330. <laughs> Like we'll do three thirty. Let's do it over fifteen years. Whoa. And and I think I the Harper that. camp was like, you know, oh, that's like that's a little too extreme. You know, they came back with like ten, and then they they met in the middle. They went to thirteen. Wow. And so like the term to, in the Phillies' mind, it, it it does not matter. The longer the better, I think, as long as it doesn't affect the total guarantee. Like the number for Turner was going to have to start with a three. Because as we've come to know, and, and I wish I would have had the number when I was reporting on the Turner story, I just didn't, we, I couldn't nail down the number for sure. There was too much noise as like, is this like, you know, is this a team or an agency trying to, to like, uh, you know, ju- juice the number? I, it was unclear, but since then, since I've come to know that like, and I wrote and I, and I knew this is that the Padres offer was large enough that even with the California state tax differences, the guarantee was bigger than the Phillies guarantee. 
And mm. we've come to know that it was uh, reportedly, according to ESPN and New York Post, um, close to Lindor money, about 340, 342. Wow. Um, a huge gap in what the Phillies offered. But the Phillies knew the number was going to have to start with the three. That became clear in the negotiations with Turner. And, you know, whether it was 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 years, it was going to start with a three. And they said, okay, well, if that's the guarantee, if that's the number, the overall guarantee, let's try to spread it out as long as we can. That's wow. how they looked at this. And and I don't, I, I think it's a good strategy. I really do. The luxury tax number is only going to yeah. go up. And if they have to go down, like we've seen with the Dodgers, very clearly strategy here is to go back and reset their tax number ahead of, ahead of Shohei Otani Shohei. becoming a free agent next yep. offseason. It's, it's very transparent. And people are like, what the, what the hell are the Dodgers doing? And fair enough. You know, Dodgers should, should be trying to assemble a, a mass, you know, a huge payroll and, a, and the best team every year. They're clearly lining up for Otani. Um, they're clearly trying to reset their number. And maybe there'll be an offseason in, in the future here, maybe in the near future, where the Phillies want to reset their number, where they have, feel like we have to get back down. You know, we've paid the, the, the punitive penalties too many years in a row, et cetera, et cetera. I, you know, maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. But by by lowering those AAVs, even by two or three million a year, that that matters. It really does. Yeah, makes it makes that easier for sure. I think that's probably, like you mentioned, a couple of years out, maybe after like 2025 or, or something along those lines. But the, the, the team is going to look a lot different even just those three years. And I think that's what I sort of get hung up on um, thinking about length of contract, right? Like that was always the thing I would focus on for the last few years when I sort of became like sort of had my perspective altered about the way baseball works and just thinking like, oh yeah, I mean, these guys should get money. They have unique skill sets and the sport is a watch of the money. This is what they should get. The thing I still got hung up on was length of contract because that was something that was tied to a roster spot. Right. And that, that sure that, you know, affected your, your maneuverability and who you were able to actually put on that roster usually. And you kind of wanted to avoid dead money because even though there is a lot of money going on here, you probably figured that that would, you know, you start to let that pile up and, and things aren't going so well on, on the business ledger side of things. But now I have to adjust that perspective again, because like you were just saying, it is very clear that the length of these contracts is a, is a tool. It's a wedge. It is something it is. that is, that is used here in a different way from the way it's been used in recent history. Maybe and I in, think maybe in all the negotiating history. Yes. Well. Yes. And I think, I think the other way the Phillies look at it is they we don't know what this sport looks like in ten years. Like think right. about ten years ago right now, what the sport looked like. <laughs> with with the roster construction and strategy, yep. with the with the actual, you know, style of play and and, and um prevailing thoughts and groupthink. Like ten years ago, Paul, like it's a totally different game. It's a, there's just so much has changed. Look, they man, don't know the, what it looks the like next in court- ten years. The next cornerstone of the 2032 Phillies at this present moment might be a 15-year-old high schooler having a fight with their boyfriend or girlfriend of two weeks. Like, that is just, that's that's reality right now. It It is going to change so much, you can't get hung up on it. I, I have to tell myself this sometimes, too, but you, you can't. And even though that number is so big, right? Anytime you have a two-digit number for a contract term in baseball, it's still it's still new. It's still kind of a novelty. It doesn't happen often enough where we're inured to it and and like used to it to really be like, okay, cool. But it's going that way for the top tier talent. It, it's getting there, especially now if we you know start to see more of a push toward uh, 
a year or two fewer of club control and future negotiations, things like that. You're going to start seeing guys reach free agency earlier, hopefully on and on and on. We can't think too far ahead and get too far ahead of ourselves and worry about what could go wrong with this. Because again, like you were saying, this contract is about right now. It is about yeah, 2023, five, five years, four yeah. or five years. And exactly. When those later years come, okay, that's the bill. We know that going into it and we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. If baseball is even still a sport at that point, you just, you gotta, you gotta hope that this process yields you a championship. Like every other team is trying right now and not get too hung up on those future details. Cause they right now have no impact or at least very little impact uh, outside of financials on the 2023 team. And and look, you know what, would you, would you rather the Phillies be more efficient and more, uh, homegrown and 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 have this like churn, this machine that just keeps churning out talent and then use that talent in different ways through trades through actual roster spots through whatever yeah I guess but like I, I applaud the Phillies I mean I think you, you just can't help but notice what else is happening in the division um, and I I do believe that this is directly influenced how the Phillies have approached this off season and uh, it's not the it's not the biggest factor but it is a factor. Um, Look, Steve Cohen is 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 going is going to field the highest payroll in in the, in the sports history this year. Yep, by a lot. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. not just the highest you know ever. It's it's the highest ever by a lot. I mean, they may pay more in luxury tax than the Pirates' entire payroll, uh, just in the tax. So, and then you look at the Braves, who are now publicly trading. We have the data, you know, we have the numbers right there. I mean, they're they're they have to spend because people will see what they're. <laughs> What they're bringing in because um, they're a publicly traded company now. So uh, you're going to have three of the top five payrolls in the sport in one division. And I, I do think it's a bit of a fortuitous timing, Paul, that the that the schedule has changed. And I know that they're going to get six fewer games against the Nationals and the Marlins, but they but those six fewer games against the Braves and the Mets this year are, are, are probably going to help the Phillies. Um, it's a more it's a balanced schedule this year for anyone who, who, who forgot. Um, every team will play every other team in the sport. The season, so the divisional games went from nineteen to twelve or thirteen. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's re- reduced by a good um, amount. So it, it, the schedule changes a lot. So the, yes, that the Phillies are competing with the Braves and the Mets for a division spot, but um, they will see them head to head fewer times this year, and I, I don't think that's a bad thing. So I, I do think that the Phillies are keenly aware of what's happening, especially in New York. Uh, <laughs> To keep up, you gotta spend, baby. Uh, I mean, this, <laughs> and and this is really is the perfect match of owner and 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 uh, and GM. And I call Dave Dombrowski the GM. He's not. He's president of baseball race. Whatever. Um, perfect mar- marriage of owner and and baseball executive. Um, <laughs> you know, I think ownership worships the crown that Dave Dombrowski walks on, and I think Dave Dombrowski, uh, you know, appreciates having a, a blank check essentially, and. Uh, it, it, it's it's going to be about $250 million payroll. They'll get the, the second tier, I think, that incurs penalties is two fifty three. So, like, I think they'll get close to that. They'll probably leave themselves a little bit of room uh, just in case they want to do something during the season. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think they're doing everything that you could ever want them to do. And is it going to work? I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe not. Like, it, there's a really good chance it does not work. But you, you, you really have to look at it and say, like, this team made this crazy surprise run. They are a roster that has a lot of players in their prime. They have these pitchers coming from the minors. They are operating the way they should operate. 
Well, speaking of the Mets, and in this case, former Mets, there's another uh, reported deal, not official as of this moment, at least, that the Phillies agreed to. We mentioned it at the top of the show, of course. Starting pitcher Taiwan Walker, who is only 30 years old, feels like he's been around forever. He did debut at 20 when he was with Seattle, reportedly, unofficially, agreeing to a four-year, $72 million deal with the Phillies to be that mid-rotation bulky innings eater kind of guy who actually provides a little bit more than just that title might suggest. I know that kind of gets thrown around when we think of that. We think of, you know, Joe Blanton or somebody who's out there to just run a high four ZRA as long as he can get through six. This is a little different than the late 2000s here. Here we have a guy who is one of the faces of durability recently in the league, mostly just because he's topped 150 innings. Not 200 innings, 150 innings Crazy, in the last right? two seasons. Yeah, I use that stat in my story. There's, and I actually was asking other writers to give me to give me their best guess on the number of pitchers who did this, but it's only 26 pitchers in the entire sport that reached 150 in each of the last two seasons. And 150 is a low bar in my opinion, but it's clearly, uh, it's clearly the bar now. I mean, only 26 is one that's less than one per team that had. Yeah. A, a pitcher who did 150 innings in each of the last two seasons that that to me is a low bar but it's clearly um it's clearly where the sport is right now and you look at walker came off a great year really good year with the mets again topped 150 innings uh mid three zra one thing that might jump out at you if you were to look at his numbers over the last couple of years is what looks to be a drop in strikeouts and the way the game is played today you think oh man is that indicative of something? Is that a red flag? You look at his, his strikeouts per nine, they dropped from 8.3 to 7.6. You look at his strikeout percentage, which is uh, overall just the, the the percentage of every batter that comes up, not just as a percentage of outs, that dropped from 22.3 to 20.3. And normally when you start to see a trend like that, and he had been around 22% for most of his career, you start to see something like that, you're like, oh man, are we, are we getting a guy who's just going to be contact heavy is that not going to go well Philly's defense blah 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 well first of all their defense got better they're better second of all, <laughs> yeah second of all the contact that Walker was allowing was not like screaming contact this is a guy who substituted some of those strikeouts with keeping the ball in the park he basically halved his home run rate which is a bit which is a big deal that's about as big a deal as actually striking guys out and he shredded his walk rate too like this is a guy who who pitched a little bit differently in 2022 and the trends while they look on the surface like oh you see a, a mid three to fours era and and the traditional stats make you think like did we really want to give four years to this guy i mean you look a little bit deeper here swinging strike rates are on like a four-year upward trend they're not ending in strikeouts but he's, he's missing bats he's missing more bats than he usually has there are things underneath that kind of make you think oh okay maybe maybe they're seeing something along those lines that made them give four years that in the market forces, of course, because I don't think we saw four years for somebody like Walker going into the meetings. But that's just the state of things, right? So what from from the people you've been talking to, the sense you've been getting, what drove them to Walker as opposed to somebody like a Tyone or, or anybody else in that mid-rotation market? Quintana, who signed a two-year deal with the Mets. Like, what, what eventually drove them to Walker? A few things. I mean, I think, one, they thought he was the best mid-rotation pitcher not attached to a qualifying offer. Uh, and they had eliminated that market, the qualifying offer market, once they uh, landed Turner. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think what they valued was innings, but I, I don't think that they um, 
how do I say this? I, I mean, performance was just as important as innings here. And so I think they really liked Tyone. Um, and I think it was sort of a debate between those two. And I think my understanding is that they thought Walker was going to go for more. Um, they thought Walker's pricing ended up being a little higher. That's why they did kind of more focused on the tie-on market. Um, and I think when they got indication that Walker might have been closer to tie-on or maybe tie-on's market had elevated a little past where the Phillies had wanted to go because there was such a strong interest in tie-on, um, I think that's what drew them to Walker because uh, I don't know that necessarily he was the priority uh, before. And, and you're right. Like, did they want to give him tie-on Walker four years? No, I, I don't think so. I think they paid market price here. Uh, mm. I think the market uh, dictated that they give him four years or they weren't going to sign him. And they were going to look at a guy like Quintana. And I think Quintana is a nice pitcher. I think Taiwan Walker's better. Like, you know, people have asked me, like, why not just sign Quintana? And I think Walker's better. He's younger. Uh, I think you got, you know, probably two or three more years of his prime uh, as opposed to Quintana, who I'm, I'm not quite sure if there is any of that left. And I know he's made some real changes, but uh, they, they like the changes Walker made the splitter. Um, you talked about slicing a home run rate and getting weaker contact. Um, it, it's the splitter. And, uh, I, I think the Phillies will have him throw the splitter quite a bit. Uh, they looked at it. It's a good pitch. Um, they've talked to him. It's a pitch that he's, that Walker is comfortable throwing more. Um, I, I think it's, uh, is it an overpay? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. But I mean, looking at the market rate right now for guys, I mean, I think, um, I think I would have rather overpaid Walker than Tyon. I do. Um, and I think that's how the Phillies looked at it. I think you could make a good argument for them going to Quintana instead, just given the, the term of Quintana's contract, only two years. Um, and when you're committing to a mid-rotation starter, I think the shorter the term, the better. Um, this is a point, this is a, a, an area, um, a category where I do think term does matter. We are talking about how term doesn't matter for the superstars. And I think that's true. Term does matter. I think for a mid rotation starter. Yeah, that's um, fair. Um, but uh, they did the four years, like the third and fourth year could be really bad for Walker. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> yeah, who knows? Uh, yeah, they, they, they got probably, I think the guy, you know, the, the mid rotation guy who is probably the most talented and, and the most durable. Um, and, and, He's not a workhorse in the traditional sense. You're right. I mean, 150, it's not a huge bar, but um, that's the state of the game right now. I think it's really hard to find good pitching. And um, Scott Boris noted this, and I put it in my story, and it's not just because Scott Boris is Tywin Walker's agent. It does maybe compromise him here. But he was. But Boris made a, an astute point, I thought, is that like these some of these starters who logged 60, 70, 80-ish innings last year, the Heaney's, the Tyler Anderson's, the world, like these guys, like, um, there's a premium being paid for those guys because they're because st- of their stuff and their upside. Yeah. Um, a lot of questions though. It's like, what what are you gonna get out of those deals? Like, and those guys are getting about like 14 million a year or 13 million a year. Mm-hmm. Walker ends up getting 18 million a year. Yeah. Um, you paid a little more for innings, and I think the Phillies were um, okay with that because the innings matter to them. On a uh, a less workhorsey side of things. The Phillies also reportedly agreed to a two-year $15 million deal with left-handed reliever Matt Strom, who, like Trey Turner, has a lot of hair. He is a <laughs> former 21st-round pick of the Kansas City Royals. The West Fargo, North Dakota native was finally transitioned into full-time relief 
for the first time in his career last season. You could say 2020 might have counted toward that too, but 2020 doesn't really count for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Last year with the Red Sox, he struck out 52 of the 193 batters he faced. He discovered a bit of an uptick in his velocity, which I think intrigued a lot of people. And he's always been a, a pretty good, you know, strikeout to walk guy, but hadn't really found a role. He was bounced back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation with Kansas City. He was involved in a trade uh, that included former Phillies nemesis when he was with the Cincinnati Reds, Travis Wood, back mm-hmm. in July 2017. Um, he spent last year with Boston again before becoming a free agent this year. He just turned 31. This is Jose Alvarado's buddy. Now this is the next left-handed compliment that the Phillies were looking for in their bullpen. And I don't really know too much about Matt Strom apart from, you know, just sort of peripheral understanding. I'd seen him every once in a while pop up. I think he's pitched against the Phillies a couple of times over the, the past few years. But it seems like people, again, this is another uh, another trend signing, it seems like. It seems like people who are a little bit sure more involved, is. yeah, a little yeah. more ear to the ground are, are, are intrigued where this is going, what Strom showed last year with Boston, and, and are thinking that can translate over the next two years. First Phillies, North Dakota native, I think, since Chris Coast. Coasty. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wish I could. Um, the Strom deal will... Um, but will probably be be made official later today, and, and there might be a little more to talk about. But um, I, I've asked some people like he he's a he's a former starter, obviously, and he he throws a lot of pitches. Um, he threw like five pitches as a reliever last year, which is pretty unusual. I mean, usually you'll see guys kind of whittle it down to two or three as a reliever. And the Phillies think there's some things they can do tweaking him. But what I've heard and talking to people, some scouts from other teams, that he's got a very different look um, where the his his delivery and where the ball comes out and kind of yes. a little bit of deception. And this is something the Phillies uh, prior are, are prioritizing. Um, they, they want diversity and stuff and look in their bullpen. And this is something that's popularized by the Rays. If you'll recall yes. a few years ago. Yep. And um, th- this is why they paid 15 million for him uh, over two years. I was a little surprised by the multi-year deal, but again, it's with the market for, I believe he did have other two-year deals, um, offers on the table. So, um, they're, they're buying, they're buying on him with a little bit of uptick and stuff. They're buying on the fact that they can make some repertoire changes and they're buying on the fact that he, uh, gives them a, a little bit of different, unique look. Um, his numbers against lefties weren't great. He's not like your traditional lefty specialist. Um, although traditional lefty specialists don't really exist anymore. Right. Um, I could see them adding a third lefty, like a lefty who actually gets lefties out um, on a more consistent basis. But um, for now, you know, Strom is right, right, uh, right, right in there. Like as a setup, man, um, interesting kind of guy. Um, probably a little bit of risk, but you're right. It's a trend signing. They're, they're buying on some upside. And honestly, the Phillies have, have they've made some really good changes to the, the way they approach pitching, especially at the major league level, um, Caleb Cotham and Brian Kaplan, uh, the two pitching coaches, um, I've, I've done some really good things. I think we saw it play out over the season last year. Some of the changes they made, um, to how guys think about, especially relievers, how they think about what to throw, when to throw it, etc. Um, so Strom, uh, look like relievers that are hard to predict and, um, they'll, they'll take a little spin on this guy. I mean, you'll recall they spent 22 million last off season on, 
Corey Knable, Jerry Samillion, Brad Hand, and I think those deals really didn't work out, but uh, mm. they'll try again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one more note on the pitching side, a little bit more intriguing and a little bit less expensive, only about $100,000 or so to make a pick in this in this particular instance. In the Rule 5 draft that was held on Wednesday, the the ceremonial cap of the winter meetings, I don't know why it's the last thing and why it's the it's the the closing ceremony of the winter meetings, but it is. It's the last real official business there. The Phillies made a pick in the major league phase. They took uh formerly now of the Boston Red Sox organization a pitcher named Noah Song, who has an interesting backstory. He was a fourth round pick in uh, the 2019 draft. He had the talent, depending on who you ask, to potentially go in the first round. The thing that held him back, or at least saw his draft stock, I guess, slip, is his commitment to the United States Naval Academy, where he still currently is stationed. He's still in uh, flight school, I I believe it is. And that's a multi-year commitment. He has not pitched professionally since 2019. He is not out of that military commitment. Now, the Phillies apparently think they're on to something here because they drafted Noah Song. And even though the Rule 5 draft states that you must roster your selection throughout the whole year or else subject them to waivers and offer them back to the original franchise... Because Song is still committed to the military, he'd be placed, I believe, on the restricted list. I don't know if there's a specialist for it, but I believe it's a restricted list and will not count toward the 40 man roster while still being, quote unquote, rostered by the Phillies. Matt, I I am one of the sickos that I mentioned at the top of, of, <laughs> of the show here, and I am fascinated by this because even though i don't know a ton about noah song i remember you know skimming some reports on him around draft time a few years ago that was 2019 that was three and a half years ago that he was drafted now i don't remember too much about him but i remember this story what compelled the phillies to look at noah song right now where he still potentially has another year or two in this military commitment and pick him from the red sox in the rule five draft like they did How, how did this come about so, a couple of things. Uh, for one, Dave Dombrowski was familiar with Noah Song from his time in the Boston organization, and my understanding is that that th- this was this was uh, a Dave thing. Like as soon as the re- as soon as the reserve lists, you know, were were distributed to teams, and and you're allowed to protect, um, you know, a certain amount of players, et cetera, whatever, but. Um, they went over the, they combed the list and, and David said something to to maybe a couple people in the front office and said, do, do some digging on, on Noah song because the Red Sox did not protect him. And he was uh, rule five eligible this year for the first time. And I, I think the Phillies believe they pulled a fast one on the Red Sox, which is kind of funny. Um, and I know the Red Sox are pissed. Uh, <laughs> I know that for a fact. Oh boy. And uh, maybe it ends up being something, maybe not. Now there are still some, some things to be clarified with the league office and the Phillies are still waiting for clarification as well. There is a list, Paul, there is a military list. Um, he will not go on the restricted list. He's going oh. on the military list, Oh, which, uh, is a vague list that believe it or not, really hasn't been updated for a long time. <laughs> and so the well, military yeah. list was written in 
you know, as, as something where if a player is, 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 um, you know, called up to active duty, uh, in the military, um, this list was designed to protect him. So, um, wow. There are, there are some questions about whether, excuse me, I'm losing my voice now, but the Red Sox had not done what the Phillies did, which essentially put him on the 40 man and then put him on the military list because it was the Red Sox understanding that while on the military list, Noah song would accrue major league service time, Hmm. which mattered to the Red Sox. It, It does not matter to the Phillies. Although since then the Phillies have come to understand that it's, he might not accrue major league service time because there is this vague language on the, in the military list, uh, section of the collective bargaining agreement that says he will only a player only accrues major league service time to see if, if he is called up to active duty you know basically uh, in a time of war oh, okay oh, and so man. <laughs> there there might be some dispute as to whether he accrues major league service time wow either way here is the real wrinkle here that the phillies have come to understand is how this will work is let's say, for example, you draft a rule five guy who is not in the military. <laughs> you draft a rule five guy, okay, <laughs> yeah. a normal rule five guy. Yeah. You put him on your roster and he gets hurt. He blows out, right? Early in the season. Um, he he misses, he doesn't get 90 days on the active roster. Um, he, he misses too much time because of injury. You are still allowed to keep him on your roster for the next season but he's not subject. He doesn't have to spend an entire season on your roster. He has to spend 90 consecutive days. Mm. The Phillies believe that major league baseball will treat Noah song in similar fashion that if he does not pitch at all, if he is not activated at all in 2023 season and he is ready for 2024, he will not have to spend an entire season on the active roster. He'd have to spend 90 consecutive days and then could be optioned then after that. Wow. And still, it would be a big ask, right? Sure. Like, he hasn't pitched professionally since 2019. He's never pitched above A ball. We have no idea, right? You know, they have no idea what, you know, the time away from baseball has done to um, his status as a pitcher. They have talked to Noah. Um, you know, there, there's other wrinkles in this. Like, you know, the, he has applied for waivers, you know, with, with the Navy, uh, with the government to try to, with the Department of Defense to try to, um, have his uh, service, you know, be, have him allowed to be in the reserves, you know, to serve the rest of his um, his stint in the Navy as uh, in the reserves, so he can resume his 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 professional career as a, as a baseball player. Um, you know, maybe the Phillies try to get uh, the first lady involved. She's a big Phillies fan. I don't know. Oh, like, man, that's <laughs> probably far fetched, but uh, maybe. Um, but. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like in the end, it cost them a hundred thousand dollars. Like they thought it was worth the shot. Um, I, I heard from evaluators from other teams after the pick who were like, "Whoa!" Like you know, I saw Noah Song, you know, when he pitched in twenty nineteen, and I was blown away. And it's a long time ago, and a lot has happened since. And um, you know, maybe this leads to something. Maybe it doesn't. But I, I think it's it's pretty intriguing. It, it seems to be a shrewd move, whether or not it works or not. I also believe that there will be language that will be changed in the collective bargaining agreement with relation to the military list because of what the Phillies have done here. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, it is very, very uh, sicko like uh, attention oh, being baby. paid to it by me and you and maybe some others out there, but um, it's 
an interesting one. He's now what? He's 25. He turns 26 25. in May. Um, I don't know, but you know what? A hundred thousand dollars. I I think it was a bet worth making. Don't you? Uh, yeah. In, in the grand scheme of things, it's a drop in the bucket compared to everything else. And why not? You know, like, yeah, okay. You ruffle some feathers over in Boston. I get that. Yeah, they did. Oh yeah. If you, oh boy. But if, <laughs> so I guess we can't expect them to make, uh, many sweetheart deals this season, but I guess, um, you know, if you think there's something there and even though he hasn't pitched professionally since 2019, if you think, you know, maybe you've had a look at him somehow, some way, I, I don't even know how you can scout the guy no, at this can't. point. Yeah. No. Like no, he hasn't so, pitched. I mean, I don't, you know, as far as I know, I mean, it, it'll be interesting. Um, it doesn't seem like 2023 is concerned necessarily, I guess, depending on that rule clarification, but we'll have yeah, to unless see he they, gets his waiver, unless he gets his waiver. He, he, right. He's still needs to, he still has more service uh, in the Navy. Which I, th- I think I read that he that's been pending for over a year now, right? Like it's been on file and pending. Anyway, I th- there's a yeah. lot going on here. There's a lot of paperwork and <laughs> a lot of rules and a lot the of military list. Baby. Oh, man. Military. Li- I had no idea. There are so many different lists. My God. Fraternity, bereavement, restricted, military. It's unbelievable. Um, but that's it's amazing because th- this is the kind of thing that you, you really just truly do a double take. I, I saw that name come up when everybody was announcing the picks and I, I, I truly couldn't believe it. It had never crossed my mind. I had forgotten the guy's name. I again, remembered that it was like, Oh, potential first round talent, but he's got this commitment falls to the fourth round. And then I just, I had just forgotten about him. I had just truly forgotten about him. So to see that name come up again, it's really wild. Selfishly. Yes. I hope it works out in the Phillies favor. That would be amazing, but it's, it's worth the risk. It's worth the fee to to make this draft pick and you know ruffle those feathers. I and, hey, and if you're the Phillies, like why not make a call to the first sure. lady's office, right? Well, if you're John yeah. Middleton, like why not? God, could you imagine that? Would, oh, <laughs> I don't. I uh, boy, I'm I'm not going to touch that anymore. All right. So those are your <laughs> those are your winter meetings. Uh, they were busy. They were fun. They were productive. Uh, we don't have to wait until February. To see a, a key piece sign. It's it's amazing. Now all we really have to worry about, not even really worry, our focus on non-roster invites, spring training guys, probably going to see a little bit more activity on the relief side, maybe one more, you think, guaranteed contract before you start getting into the roulette of uh tryouts and things like that. Yeah. And let me say one more thing. Like they hadn't they hadn't made up their mind if they were gonna pick song until about an hour before the draft. Um, it's not like they were like it's not like they were um you know, concocting this like grand, you know, plot. Um, I, I do think there might've been another guy they were, they were looking at, maybe a reliever, um, you know, uh, to, to try to give a shot in spring training. Um, mm-hmm. So it wasn't a total slam dunk, but I think they were so intrigued enough. They were like, let's do this. Um, and yeah, I think maybe one more guaranteed deal. Maybe I, I think so. Um, there's, there's a lot of right-handed middle relievers on the market who have not yeah. signed and probably won't sign until January. Um, so I, I could see them giving one more guaranteed deal. I, I don't think they'll give out another guaranteed uh, multi-year contract. I don't. I don't think they would do that. It's kind of wild here in the second week in December that almost all of the teams work for the off season is done. It's beautiful. Or at least, at least, yeah, right. In my opinion, it's beautiful having yeah. you know having the the the, the regu- you know having the Philly season go to November fifth. Um, yes, you may not see or hear from me for a little bit. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's that's a nice little combo here. You take a break for a couple of weeks in November, come back for the winter meetings. All the good stuff happens while you're back on the beat. <laughs> and then you're just like, all right, see ya. Peace out. What a no, life. I'll still got. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yes. Um, yeah, there's still some things to take care of and some stories to write. But um, sure. Yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to be, I think, pretty low key um, for the for the remainder of the off season. This is good. Now I can finally get that old drought team out there. Now that we, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the thing we I can do a podcast. We can do a podcast on each guy. We can do it. Yeah, uh, we know, really a could. Dude. A retrospective on each guy. Look, man, I, I'm sensing I'm sensing a new cereal here. Like, I'm just <laughs> uh, I'm just saying. All right, so that, that, again, that's the winter meetings. Fun stuff happened. It's good. It's thumbs up. It's it's positive marks. This team continues to be fascinating for multiple reasons. Uh, almost all of them good. Yeah, it's, you, you it's can't say wild. you can say a lot of things about what they've done if you don't agree with it or you do agree with it, but you can't say they're not interesting. They are. They are definitely not boring. All right, so that's December 9th. Everybody's nestling back home around the Philadelphia area or whatever wherever they're based. Line up some NRIs, line up some potential tryout candidates, maybe get a little bit more for the bullpen, and then clap your hands and enjoy the holidays. We, meaning Matt and I, will be back with you next week at some point. Maybe we'll do the all-drought team. Maybe we'll come up with a better, more interesting idea. Who knows? It's our show. We'll figure it out. In the meantime, I hope you're all staying well, staying healthy, and we'll talk to you when we talk to you. For Matt, I'm Paul. We'll see you around.